Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Screw the Stigma. My name is Afra and thank you so much for tuning in this week. First of all, I would like to start off by saying that my podcast is basically about the topics that the media finds too sensitive to share, topics such as racism, sexism, mental health, and even last week was based on cancel culture. Basically, any topics that are not widely discussed or something that we go through on a daily basis, daily struggles. So I think you guys should definitely tune in every Monday. And if you have a specific topic that you would like to hear about, you can always request a topic on my Instagram page at Screw the Stigma Podcast. You can send me a DM there and I'll definitely check it out. I also create interesting content based on the podcast episode that week, as well as just overall contents that will help you think outside the box. So definitely do check that out. And now onto the podcast. Everybody, I would like to wish you guys a happy new year. I hope you had a great new year's and I know that this new year, new year's and new year's eve was definitely different than how we use, usually celebrate it and I think for the people who are considerate enough to stay at home and to still social distance and while having fun but being considerate of other people, I think you guys did a great job. When I was looking at people's Instagram stories, it kind of blew my mind how everybody was just going out. Not everybody, of course, but a lot of people were going out and partying and kind of just forgot about the concept of social distancing and the fact that the pandemic is still isn't over. And for the people who did stay home or social distance and were being responsible, I think you guys did a great job because... For one thing we can do from the start of 2021 is be better human beings. There are so many people out there with compromised immune systems. The elderly who don't have a strong enough immune system as the young people do. So you might be, even we're all, trust me, we're all tired staying at home. I've been home for the past three months and I feel like I'm going crazy. But sometimes we need to act more than just thinking about ourselves and just be, just being a nicer human being. I'm not saying that you guys should always stay at home, but make sure that you act responsibly. On that note, I would like to start off by talking about today's podcast. It's based on career choices and public speaking. Personally, I've had a lot of difficulties with public speaking in terms of speaking confidently. And that's just based on my culture and my community that I came from. I've always been an introvert and finding friends and starting a conversation has always been the greatest difficulty for me and standing up for myself confidently and speaking out has also been difficult because I have anxiety and I think a lot of people do suffer with this and this episode can be great for you if you do have difficulties selecting what major you want to do what career choice you want to go through should I follow my should I follow my interests or should I just go for the safety net job this podcast it is for you and to help me out today I have a great guest with me who's going to provide you guys with valuable information. Today's guest is the voice and face behind Master Talk, the YouTube channel that provides great advice on public speaking. He also trains executives on how to public speak and I think he has valuable content for you guys today. Today's guest is Brendan Kumarasamy and I'm going to cut to that now. Hello everyone, I have uh, Brendan Kumarasamy with me today. Hey Brendan, how are you doing? Very good, Afra. How about yourself? I'm doing great. You're from Canada, Montreal. How's the weather like there right now? Weather's pretty good. Can't complain. You know, for me, any any day in the first world country is an amazing one. So I don't really complain too much (laughs) around here. 
<laughs> it must be pretty cold right there right now. Is it? Is it snowing? Uh, you know, so I've been inside my house for so long. I guess I don't keep track. <laughs> but I, I guess my general philosophy is if I got food to eat, I don't really complain too much about the weather. Honestly, same. But I always wanted to see the snow. All I've seen is like the fake snow that I've seen in like Ski Dubai or something, which is probably made out of like styrofoam or something. So <laughs> that was pretty nice. Uh, oh, that's interesting. You're based in Dubai, is that it? Uh, yeah, I was. I moved now to Malaysia, which is also another hot country. So I've never seen snow. Quite oh, that's interesting. I would like to talk about your channel, Master Talk. So you started Master Talk when you were just 22. I've heard a lot of your work and I've seen a lot of your videos, which are really great. And I recommend anyone to check it out. Um, but I want to focus on the past of when you started Master Talk, when you were in high school, university. Were you always the confident speaker that you are right now? Uh, definitely not, actually. For, for me, the story began when I was in five year when I was five years old and I started schooling for the first time in, in Montreal it's one of the, it's it's a city where French is a required language mm -hmm. I didn't know the language so my parents looked at me and they said buddy you got to <laughs> learn French so we're going to put you in a French education system oh, and that's wow. where the challenge came from me because not only did I have trouble interacting mm -hmm. with the kids you know who only spoke French or was uncomfortable with presentations I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So oh, you'd see me in a first grade or second grade classroom mm -hmm. just going, uh, bonjour. And that was my <laughs> life for, for most of it. So yeah, public speaking was definitely not something I wanted to pursue as a passion or as a career. It's something that turned into one later in life when I got to university and I started doing these things called case competitions. Mm -hmm. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were... You know, they were doing sports like uh, football or rugby or something uh, too aggressive for me. I'll probably, I'll probably break a bone if I do one of those things. I, I did the same. I applied the same competitive spirit, but to presentations. So I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people on communication skills. So when I started, you know, and I got to, when I exited university and I got a job in corporate America, or I mm -hmm. guess Canada in my case, Mm -hmm. I was able to make a really big difference on YouTube because I noticed a lot of the communication content was really bad and nobody was filling that gap, you know, for people mm -hmm. who can't afford a speech coach. So that's kind of how Master Talk began in my mother's basement and the rest was history. Oh, wow, that's really nice. And starting something at 22, I personally feel like is the perfect age to start things out because I feel like you'll have no, like no regrets because you always tested something out. And, you know, when you're young, you have a lot of passion and I feel like you have the time and resources to start things. I think you talked about speaking in a language that you weren't comfortable with. And I feel like most of the world right now, we're all forced to speak English and the world is filled with multicultural people. And a lot of people either migrate to different countries and they're forced to speak in a language that they're not comfortable with. So what is your what do you like to suggest for the people who are afraid of speaking or not confident enough to speak in a language that they're not 100% comfortable with? Absolutely. The first thing I would say is I completely understand. Mm -hmm. right? I, I was there. I mean, I speak three languages today, and it's, it's definitely difficult when I do interviews in the other two languages or when I give presentations. But there's actually an easy way of thinking about this, Afra. I would say the first thing that people can do in terms of presentations is to always write your presentation your first language. 
The reason is because the difference between somebody's first and second language has nothing to do with intelligence. A lot of people, you know, tend to think that they go, oh, you know, I'm really good at this, but I'm really bad at this at English. So I'm not good enough. No, no, no. That's all bad. The reason there's a difference is because of vocabulary. Something that you understand in your first language that you're very comfortable with within your culture. So let's say you speak, I don't know, Arabic or some other language or Mandarin or something. It's because you grew up in those countries, you know the context of that culture. So that way you know exactly what to say and how to say it. But when you translate that to a language you're new to, you don't understand the culture behind it, which is normal. So that's why I always recommend to write out the speech in your first language. Then after that, what you want to do is you want to translate that presentation into the language you need to speak it in. So let's say your first language is Arabic, your second language is uh, English, and you need to give a presentation in English. So what you do is you would write your your presentation Arabic first, then you translate it to English. And then the third thing to do is to practice the presentations with native speakers. So people whose first language is English in the example I just gave. If you mm-hmm. follow these tips, uh, you're going to be 10 times better at presenting in your second language. And you won't have that same anxiety you used to feel before. Like now today, I keynote in French, which is definitely something I couldn't do five years ago. But I just worked out that same technique, same strategy. And now I present just fine. That's awesome. I think a lot of people do suffer with that. And it is definitely, I feel like it breaks down your confidence when you don't feel comfortable and you feel like people are judging you, which I feel like the more you converse, the more you will learn. And I think that's, that's amazing. Your tips were great. And coming back to presenting, even if someone is confident, one thing that I've noticed in university when I came here to Malaysia and just in high school in general a lot of our assignments were based on presenting and PowerPoints and even just speaking, giving out speeches. So a lot of it revolved around speaking in front of an audience. And one thing that I mainly noticed is that even, even though we're presenting in front of our friends and teachers who are really comfortable with, a lot of people tend to get afraid when they see an audience, even though these are familiar faces. And I can only imagine it gets harder when you have to present for work or for new clients or people that you have no idea who they are. So for the people who get anxiety or just afraid to speak in front of an audience, even though they're very proficient in what they're speaking, their language is good, they're confident, but then they get this fear. How do you think they can manage this fear and still deliver good content? Yeah, for sure. You know, for me, it's always been this question that I don't think people know about that I think will help them a lot. The question is, how would the world be different if you were an exceptional communicator? If you were one of the best communicators on the planet, how would the world be different? What we need to understand through this question is that public speaking has very little to do with just presentations, but rather everything that we do, the interaction we have with the person we meet at the park, the interaction we have with the delivery guy, the tough conversation with our family, the great conversation with our friends. It's these conversations that allow us to say, wow, public speaking doesn't just make my presentations better. Communication makes my life better. That's what I want people to start thinking about because the education system has changed our perspective on what communication actually is for. They would say something like, oh, you know, 
you got to present this topic that you don't care about to students who don't want to listen to you, to teachers who don't have time to coach you. And you're just there like, uh, okay. So you <laughs> see public speaking as a chore. It's like doing the dishes. <laughs> but if you start to see it as a way to make a difference in the same way you're doing it very well with your podcast, <laughs> then you'll you. have a lot more fun practicing it. Of course. Completely right. At school especially made us feel like we have to do this and, I feel like when people are forced to do things, they will automatically start to dislike it. So you definitely got a good point there. And coming back to the one thing that you mentioned is that to look at public speaking as more of a daily interaction. And I think you're right. I think the way we present ourselves and the way we deliver our speech can make even other people trust us even more. So the one thing that First, I know I noticed that a lot of people, even a lot of my friends, and personally, even I struggle with this. Even though we are good at speaking, like I'm pretty decent at speaking English, and it's almost like my first language. The one thing that I suffer with is getting my words and ideas that I have in my mind out of my mouth in a proper, cohesive sentences that are like understandable and not all over the place. So for the people listening who just have social anxiety and people who have to just go out and deliver proper ideas and just talking in general, how, what kind of tips do you have for that? Yeah, you know, I always like to keep things simple, Afra, especially in, in regards to relationship building and conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could easily tell you to say less filler words or to pay attention to questions. But I, but I think the biggest piece of advice is to talk to people you actually want to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about relationship building, our general approach is the following. You go to an event and you say, oh, you know, I really hope everyone likes me and got to give a business card to everybody. But if you really think about it, Afra, let's say you meet somebody every couple of days. Okay, on average, somebody new. So every year, that's around 100 people, give or take. Mm-hmm. And then if you live for 50 more years, of course, I hope you live for much longer than that. <laughs> If you, if you do 100 times 50, I don't want to make this a calculus class or anything, but the answer is 5,000. But there's 7 billion people on the planet. So even if you tried really hard, you're only going to meet a very, very small number of people in your life. Mm-hmm. So the question you always need to ask yourself is not how do you get everyone to like you, but rather say, who do you want those 5,000 people to be? Who do you want the 5,000 people to be? And once you understand that question, then you weigh, the way that you approach relationships is going to change from, you know, I hope everyone likes me to why am I even in this room? Mm-hmm. Why am I even here? I should probably just ask the people that I already like to introduce me to other people mm-hmm. that I'll probably like. I should probably go to a pen collecting conference because I love pens and nobody else in my friends likes collecting them. So I'm going to spend a couple hundred bucks and go meet other pen collectors. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. You get very clear on who those 5,000 people are, what their values are, where they hang out. Your strategy is going to change and better. You won't be as worried, you know, making mistakes because you share the same interests with them. You know, it'd be, it would be really hard for me to start to talk with an historian about history. I would get lost very quickly. But if I'm having a conversation with you on how to make a difference in the world, that's an easy one to have because we're both Mm purpose-driven. Totally. Yeah, going back to that, going back to doing something that you like, 
You started Master Talk because you have an interest in speaking and delivering that and delivering the knowledge. And I think that's great. But I think what a lot of young people, especially now, they kind of struggle with is following something that they truly are interested in then and also having this thing that I can always do something else that I'm not interested in, but it's a good pay. From the previous podcast that I listened to that you were featured in, I heard that you worked at IBM and that's a corporate job. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of corporate jobs, but, and I know that it can be highly demanding. So how did you manage having a corporate job and doing something that you're passionate about together? Absolutely. I think for me, it always starts with clarity. What do you want out of life? It's a simple question, but one most people don't bother trying to answer, right? So, so for me, what, what I realized early in my life, and that's the recommendation I have for everybody, is to reflect on difficult questions every single day. What happens is in that journey, you start to realize, or at least I realized in my case, that the money in my bank account had zero significance to who, the contribution I was making to humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if I played the rat race and I just keep climbing up the ladder, and, and by the way, I still have my day job and I really love it, but I meant more in the general context of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't build something meaningful on the side. I'll regret it. You know, when I, if I'm 80 years old and I look back at my life and I just worked at a company and I didn't try to build something important to help some people out, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that a life well lived. Mm-hmm. Whereas, so because of that, you know, and I, through a lot of questions, I realized for myself personally that the things that brought me joy were very different than most. You know, some people, you know, they get their joy from comfort or fast food. And I love fast food, not going to lie. But, but I think for me, it was doing important things. Mm-hmm. So for me, balance in my life means working a lot. You know, it means working 14, 15 hours a day. But at the same time, since I, ha- since I live with my mom and my sister, I don't need to run around the place to see my family. I can just go mm-hmm. upstairs and spend an hour with them. So mm-hmm. it's all about figuring out what you want out of life. And it's not an easy question. But I think over time, as you kind of ask yourself the right questions, you start to figure out what makes the most sense to you. And, and an easy way for people to, to figure this out is, is, the, is to prioritize three things at any given moment. So if you prioritize too many things, if you care about seven different things, you'll get nothing done. But if you ask yourself, in any moment of my life, what's my top three? So when I'm, tw- you know, now I'm 24. So my top three, you know, one of them is not starting a family anytime soon. Mm-hmm. right? It's building master talk. It's uh, spending quality time with my family. It's learning a lot and, and talking to interesting people. In 10 years, it might be taking care of my kids, prioritizing mm-hmm. a camping trip over a business meeting or a podcast. It's going to change and that's okay. But what I encourage people to do is to figure out their, their three priorities right now. And another thing I'll add, five years ago, that priority was just making money for me because I grew Mm -hmm. up in poverty. I just wanted to make money. So that's okay too. Like you mentioned, making money. And I think that especially in like 2020, making money was like the main focus because so many people lost their jobs. And I think that also played a role in a lot of people realizing that there is more to life than just making money that you, you know, anything can happen at any time. Like now we're in a huge pandemic that nobody would have predicted other than some specific like psychics out there, but no (laughs) no one would have really predicted something this severe, even last year, even somewhere in December, 
even though the information about COVID was right out there in a lot of media, people didn't take it seriously because, oh, it's just in China, cause, so who cares? So when it really hits the world, you realize that, oh, okay, there's, so, there, there's something that can instantly take your life away and nothing is permanent, so you have to do something that you like. But another aspect, the main thing is money. And a lot of people are focused on money and, you know, some people is important. Like you said, if you're in poverty and you have to pay the bills, you have to focus on money. So when you have a day job for when you're working nine to five, but you still have a passion, it's so easy to just get tired and not do it. How do you, how did you personally manage to stay motivated and create this channel as to where it is today? Yeah, for sure. I would say the big question I ask myself that most people don't is who suffers from my inability to take action every day. Mm-hmm. Every single day that I make the decision not to do the thing, who suffers from that? And for me, it was very clear. It was Julia. Julia's 16 years old. She, she's in a high school. She's very talented, but she's scared of public speaking. So she goes on YouTube. She tries to find something interesting on public speaking. And what does she find? She finds a bunch of old white dudes who don't know anything about communication that she can't relate to. So she doesn't want to work on her communication skills and she never changes her mind for the rest of her life. And the only person that can change her mind is me. So if I don't make the videos for Julia, even if she can't afford me, I am hurting her and millions of girls and boys like them. So that's my reason for doing things. Notice I'm very clear about who that person is. I'm clear on their challenge. I'm clear on what they're scared of, who they want to be. And I make content around them. That's why I'm very focused on Master Talk. Like just to give you numbers, I, I write my content three years in advance. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm very focused on what I want to do. And that's what I want for everybody. Because most people's option A and option B, Afra, is option A is do the thing, whatever the thing is. It could be having kids. It could be uh, uh, starting a recipe, sharing a cupcake with somebody. And option B is watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, option A is do the thing, and option B is watch Julia and millions of people like her suffer under a an like a like a fire. Because mm-hmm. right? so you can tell I'm very motivated because of that, and I, I want everyone to start getting very clear. And the best way you can do this, besides the question, for those of you who are still wondering, is have conversations, deep conversations, dinner conversations with the people you actually want to make a change for and let them tell you why your ideas matter to them. That will keep me motivated as well to keep doing this. So thanks for that. Um, Like for example, Afra, let's say I made this a coaching workshop. Mm -hmm. Your next step, if you need motivation, is Mm -hmm. you need to send an email. At the end of your podcast, you need to say, hey, I'd love to talk to three of you, like three of my fans. Can you please send me an email? Three people will send you an email. Get on a Zoom call with them and just talk to them for three hours and just say, why do you listen to my show? And then somebody from Dubai is going to say, you know, Afra, I was really scared of, um, you know, personal development and all that stuff. But you're the only person who lives in Dubai who's my age that I can relate to. And it's because of you that I made X, Y, Z change in my life. Thanks for what you do. You need to hear those conversations, Afra, because we all think our ideas are stupid until somebody else tells us that they're not. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, I think a lot of people are scared to go out and do the things that they want to do because they think they're ins- insignificant, and they think that who am I to do anything? You know, there's so many people out there who could be doing the same thing, but a lot of people, what they fail to realize is that a lot of people aren't doing that because of the same reason. And I think what you mentioned is, I think it's a great motivation for everybody who does want to start something. And I'm going back to public speaking in general. I think a lot of us now are so focused on technology and social media and hiding behind a screen to communicate with people that a lot of people nowadays, they suffer to just go in front of like real life interactions seem very difficult nowadays and starting a conversation, especially the people rather pretend to be on their phones to prevent the awkward situations rather than starting up a conversations. So for the people who have difficulties with starting conversations or just opening up in general, do you have any suggestions or tips on that? Yeah, for sure. For, I, think, I think Tony Robbins puts it best. He says that the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you dare to ask yourself. So I think the first step in being more comfortable in conversations is to ask yourself hard conversations and questions. So questions like, what are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time, et cetera, et cetera. Then I would say the next step of that is to go up to the people you love the most, the people that already like you, and start to ask them these questions so that you're more comfortable asking harder stuff. So that way, when you get into easy, high-level conversations with people you haven't met, like, how's the weather? or How's your day? It's a lot easier for you to maintain those conversations because you've had much harder ones. So the trick is always to do the harder thing. So that way, when you go into the easier thing, well, that thing becomes a lot easier for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think that confidence is the key to public speaking and for the people who are lacking in confidence, how can they grow their confidence? And are there other aspects to public speaking that play another like, major role than just confidence in general? Of course. So, so I would say there's two parts to, to confidence, right? Mm-hmm. The first one is the one we all know, which is preparation. If you've done the same thing a hundred times, you probably know more than when you started. Right, so let's say your podcast first episode, you're like, "Geez, I've I've never met a stranger over the internet on a guest, and I have to interview them. This is weird." And then after a couple of podcasts, you get more used to it. Same thing with me. I started in my mother's basement with uh, a phone, no budget, no lighting, and then uh, two years later, it is what it is today. So that analogy applies for everything that we do. So if you have a presentation, you're scared to give it. My advice is give it alone to yourself fifty times. And then when you present, and then present it to two people, then present it to four people, eight people, 16 people, and then over time you'll grow. My first master talk keynote, I'm always proud to say it was in front of three people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in front of, uh, you know, the, the, the number, whatever the number is that I talked to today, you know, it didn't start that way. Mm-hmm. It started with three and then it grew from there. So preparation is key. But the second part that not many people talk about enough of is having a belief system. What is it that you actually believe in? Mm-hmm. And most people, unfortunately, don't stand for every, anything. Mm-hmm. The people who actually speak, it's not because they're not scared of public speaking. I'm scared of public speaking to a certain extent, too. Mm-hmm. We all are. The difference is that what we want to share with the world is so important that we break through the barrier. 
like when I started guesting on shows, I sucked Afra. You know, people <laughs> ask me questions and I'd just be like, they'd be like, where, where does the fear of public speaking come, Mr. Brendan? And I'm just sitting there like, why are they calling me Mr. Brendan? This is so weird. <laughs> That's one part. And the second part was I didn't know the answer. I just went, uh, well, uh, I, I live in my, my, with my mom and I don't know. But after I go on 300 or whatever the number is, you do, you do more shows. Well, they always ask you the same questions, right? So, so it, it just becomes easier for me to deal with the questions I get and, and to answer more, quote unquote, eloquently. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I recommend for people. If you know what you stand for, you know why you want to present it, you know who it's for, I think you can figure this stuff out 100%. That's a great point that you mentioned about how you started with just three people. I think a lot of people, they, when they're just starting out with doing something, they get easily discouraged when they realize that oh, a lot of people aren't willing to listen to me. And I think this is sort of like a fear that comes as well. Like, what if I'm just making a fool out of myself? And one of the things that I realized that people are always very critical when someone is quite young and they're speaking about things that people naturally so-called realize when they're like in their 40s. So you are now like you started a master talk when you were just 22, which is Correct. very young. And so did, did you get like a lot of criticism about you talking about public speaking? Did people come at you like, hey, what do you know about public speaking? You're just 22. Oh, 100%, 100%. I, I definitely got a lot of backlash when I started, uh, mostly from academic professors who said I was too young to do this stuff. And, you know, they, they didn't want to share my videos with their students. But, but I think the big thing that I really want people to push and to really understand is what does being an expert actually mean? Mm-hmm. Society tells us that it's having a PhD or having a degree. Who made up that rule? Mm-hmm. That's what you really need to ask yourself. And, and for me, being an expert means being a chapter ahead of somebody else in their journey. So in the same way, by the way, Afra, if I went to Dubai, I would probably ask you what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? You've lived there a lot longer. Does that make you the number one expert of the city? Probably not. Yeah. But you know more about the city than I do mm-hmm. in the same way that if you came to Montreal, yeah, you should ask me for advice, not because I'm the number one expert in the city mm-hmm. or I have gold medallions and I know every little spot in the city. No, I, I, just because I've lived here my whole life. So I probably know a bit more than you do in that, in that sphere. Mm-hmm. And, and knowledge works in the same way. As long as you're more knowledgeable, a bit more than the next person, Mm-hmm. That then you, you're, you're qualified to do it as long as you're giving advice to the people behind you, not in front of you, mm-hmm. right? That's right. the key. And, and for me, it was, even if I was young, you know, I probably, I think by the time when I started master talk at 22, I already had presented like 600 times. Like it wasn't that I was uh, just jumping there and hoping for the best. No, I was already coaching a lot of executives and, and people at that point, just <laughs> not for money at the beginning. It was mostly just for fun. And when I started when I was 19, I had no clue how to coach people. It mm-hmm. was just something I had an interest in. I had people to practice on. I did it for free for many, many years before I built a business around it. Mm-hmm. And I sucked. And then over time, I got really good because it, it just happened to be a gift of mine. And I was already good at communication. So, so, it, so I was able to coach at a level that a lot of people who are double my age can't even coach it. Or some people mm-hmm. that can coach it around the same level as me. And that's what I really want to drive for people. You don't need to be number one in the room. You just need to be number one to somebody else. And coming back to that, what, what do you suggest for people 
who have a fear of putting themselves out there because it's definitely not easy to like, especially if you're new and you're just starting something and you're just trying to get your word out there, especially if you're recording videos and you know, people know that it's you in specific. I know that a lot of my friends suffer with this. They're either great artists or they're great singers, but they're so afraid to put themselves out there because of the criticism that they might get, especially with like people are so harsh over the internet because they can say whatever they want to over the screen. So like you mentioned that practice makes it perfect, but for the people who are just starting out something and showing that, hey, this is my talent, I have this. What do you, what do you would like to say to those people who have a fear of exposing themselves in a way? Absolutely. I would say for me, the advice is very simple. It's to figure out why you want to be exposed and how it'll benefit the people around you. So take me as an example. I never wanted to be a YouTuber. Like (laughs) never. My goal is to be an executive at a company, right? Like an IBM or a McKinsey or a Bain or some other big company and just work there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, make half a million dollars a year and die. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting, you know, besides having a great family, enjoying my mm-hmm. life, I didn't, I didn't think of being this big uh, master talk YouTuber or whatever. Mm-hmm. What happened was when my friend came up to me and he said, very smartly, he said, hey, if everyone waited in line and paid $1,000 an hour for your time, like everyone in the planet, mm-hmm. would you have time to coach everybody before you died? And the answer obviously is no, right? There's 7 billion people there. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have time to coach everyone, even if they all paid me a thousand bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized why MasterTalk mattered and why I needed to learn YouTube and figure it out. Because there's going to be people in the world that will never meet me, mm-hmm. that still need me. I mean, think about the people who are listening to this show. You live in Dubai. You know how long it takes for me to get, I've never been to Dubai once in my life. But now because I have MasterTalk, the YouTube channel, you don't even need to pay me. All you <laughs> need to do is listen to this or... You can go on a YouTube channel and watch the videos and still learn something. So, so the reason I started MasterTalk was because I had a clear reason for doing it. And, and the point I want to drive for people is you don't need this grandiose mission. But what you do know, what you do need rather, is one person to say why your work matters. So if you're an artist, you're a painter, you really need to pay attention to the people, the, not the 10,000 people, the three people who are going, hey, Afra, I really like your podcast. Mm-hmm. Hey, Afra, I listen to every single episode. That's not 3 million people. Could be 7 people, 70 people, 50 people. But those are the people you're creating the content for. Those are the people that you're speaking to. And those are the people that you're doing all of this for. In the same way, by the way, I thought Master Talk was the stupidest idea in the world for the first, mm-hmm. what, seven months? Until I met Julia. Mm-hmm. Right? I was at a pro bono workshop for a, for a young leaders program for women she was like, what, 15? Her name isn't Julie. I'm using an alias. But like when mm-hmm. I talked to her, she was like, oh, you know, I'm really scared of public scene. And I said, why do you have to be so scared? You're so talented. You're so amazing at what you do. And, and she just panicked. And I had a lot of trouble calming her down. And that's when I realized why my ideas matter. I said, I'm not doing this, these YouTube videos for that professor in a mm-hmm. high-rise university. Who cares about them? I'm doing these videos for Julia because Julia has nobody else except for me. Mm-hmm. And once you're clear on that, I don't care about criticism anymore. When you're clear about the person you're helping, if you don't know who you're doing it for, then the criticism will get to you really quickly. But if you know why you're doing the thing, then then no one's going to get in your way. And that's what I want for all of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And 
the influence that society has. Personally, a lot of people, not just public speaking, but then getting their opinions across and but specifically speaking in general, because I, like I mentioned, I grew up in the Middle East, but then my background is being Indian. And growing up in an Indian household, I was constantly told that I should speak a certain way and I should use a certain tone. Me being a woman, I wasn't allowed to say or be loud or do certain things, even though now it boils my blood even thinking about those things. Uh, that that's what a lot of girls, even young girls right now, they grow up with saying that, hey, you shouldn't do this. You are a girl. Or even if there's a, even the guy, like you can't speak like this, that's rude. Or you can't voice out your opinion because that's not how it's supposed to be. So a lot of people are constantly told that you shouldn't speak out. You shouldn't be confident with your you know, getting your point across. So for those people who are constantly in a negative environment saying that you can't do this or you can't be yourself what what kind of have you been through that personally and do you have any suggestions and tips over them to help them out yeah absolutely i would say the big thing is, and we all know this you are who you surround yourself with you know it's cheeky mm-hmm. but it's true and, and there's two parts to that one part is the people you can't get rid of which is your family so if you're like 14 years old you're 12 years old you're 16 years old you know you can't change your parents mm-hmm. right unfortunately Right. So you need to find other ways of navigating that. That's why the best investment I ever made, I, I'm lucky I had great, great family growing up. But for those who, who are unfortunate in that way, I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in noise canceling headsets. <laughs> you know, it goes a long way. You know, I, I know I'm saying it kind of as a joke, but, but trust me, it's, it's three, $400 worth spending on. Mm-hmm. It's, it cancels out the noise. You get rid of that. That's one part. Those are the people you can't control. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're 21, 22, you can make your own decisions, then yeah, get, get out of there. They're mm-hmm. negative. But the other part of it is the people you choose. That's mm-hmm. really what I want to spend more time talking about because that's the thing you can control without a doubt. The friends you spend time talking to is entirely your choice. Right. And if you pick the wrong people, you will go on the wrong path. So I think the question we always need to ask ourselves whenever you think about your friends, and it's a hard exercise to do. Like I, and the reason I, I can't relate anymore to it is I haven't had a negative person in my life in five years, actually. No, I've been, <laughs> yeah, life is great. I don't have a single negative person in my life. That's why I'm always happy-go-lucky all the time. But the, the advice I really have for people is to really audit your circle. Look at the people around you and really ask yourself this question. If Bob was still my friend for the next 50 years, would he help me achieve my goals? Will he support me in achieving my goals or will he hinder my goals? And if the answer is no, the next question you ask yourself is how important are the goals to me? Mm-hmm. If the goals aren't important to you, then keep Bob in your life by all means. Mm-hmm. But if your goals really matter to you, then you have a tough decision to make. And trust me, there's a lot of great people to go around in this world. Trust me, I've met a lot of them. Right? So I think for me, it's, it's making those hard choices short term that will make your life better long term. You know, it's, like, it's like this whole idea, you know, you're, you're in a relationship with someone romantically and you know they're negative, you know they're bad people, but mm-hmm. you, you also don't want to be lonely. So you, you, don't, you don't break it, but you end up spending your whole life with them and it ruins your entire life and then you end up resenting them anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I think the key that I really want people to realize is the more you have confidence in yourself and your goals – And the more you realize how much time is running out, the more time you'll spend figuring out 
what, whatever it is you need to do to be successful. So now every time I see someone negative, I cut them out almost immediately. Right. And I want that. I want everyone around who are listening to have that for themselves because the joy and the happiness you'll feel from that will just make you a better person. But, but I think one easy thing to do if for people who aren't willing to get rid of their bad friends is just make a list of the things that bring you joy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's crazy after that people don't even spend 10 minutes out of their life to do that mm-hmm. because everyone's list is different. Like think about me, like my list is clubbing. It's dancing alone in my basement an hour a day. It's karaoke in different languages. It's yelling at my friends at restaurants, even if it bothers other people at the restaurant. Like it's, <laughs> it's literally like, so anyone who's listening to this is saying, well, uh, I don't want to do any of that. But mm-hmm. that's the point. It's Where's your list? Yeah. Where's your list? You're using other people's lists and you're trying to buy fancy cars, fancy watches, lipstick, fashion magazines, whatever it is. But you're not actually asking yourself, what is it you want? And for you, it's maybe reading a book 30 minutes a day. It might be sleeping 10 hours a day. It might be going on a jog for five minutes, taking a walk under the sun. It doesn't really matter. The question and what you need to realize is your list is going to be completely different than mine. So you need to spend more time making it. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, definitely 100%. I think mainly I, a lot of our lives would be a lot better if we could just get rid of the people who constantly pull us down. I think it's very important to just focus our lives for ourselves, even though it might seem quite selfish. I think it's that's a definitely a good point that you pulled up that we should sometimes, it's sometimes being good being selfish. <laughs> and um, one last final question that I would like to ask, especially for the young people who are listening and most of my audiences are is around teenagers and young adults and a lot of people, even my friends and people who, whom I know who are a lot younger, they're very confused with what they're doing right now. Especially 2020 has made it even more tough to decide what to do, to have an idea for the future, to even, I think deciding for the rest of your life would be a very difficult thing to do right now. But just going on a path, deciding what to do is super difficult and where they're very scared to choosing making the wrong decisions. So for those people who are having difficulties picking out their career choices or just anything in life, what do you do? You have like a just like a, some some tips to help them out, help the four people out who are very confused right now. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know what I've been always a fan of Afra, especially for career choices, because I think that's the best way of starting this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get a job that we're somewhat happy with? that gives us enough money to eat. Mm-hmm. And then we can start thinking about purpose and, and livelihood and all that stuff. So I would say the first step to that is to find a job that will, that will pay you a decent amount of money if that makes sense to you. And the way I've always done it is I always focus on the things I don't want to do rather than the things I want to do. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I did this exercise with you, Afra. Do you want to be a pastor? Not really. <laughs> you want to be a garbage man? Uh, no, I'm not really. A Do you want to be a dentist? Too much work. <laughs> exactly. So there's nothing wrong with those three careers, right? Mm-hmm. And I really want to emphasize there are people who are going to throw pitchforks at me. No, there is nothing wrong. Definitely not. I'm just too lazy to study for that long. Right. <laughs> but the reason why I'm telling you this is you just made three decisions in three seconds. Mm-hmm. 
So now what if you went through every career and you started doing that? You'll realize that you're going to say no to 97% of them. And if you spend a couple of hours just doing that, it's going to be much easier for you to figure out what you want to do in life. Mm -hmm. Because the key to life is not passions. Passions are general. Passions are stupid. Passions are vague. The reasons I say that is because you could be passionate about anything. Mm -hmm. You can be passionate about your mom, your family, your trees and your house, you know, Mm -hmm. your cardboard box you can be passionate about anything you can't build a meaningful contribution out of that mm-hmm. unless you're in the five percent of people which i don't think is in this audience who, who know what that is already if you know what that is if you know what the passion is don't listen to me on this but understand that 95 percent of people are listening don't have one so i would say the big thing is is decisions like make a decision do something specific do something actionable that gets you something you selfishly want so when I was 12, the thing I wanted wasn't to be a YouTuber. I thought that was for rich people. I wanted to make money. My, my parents were poor. I needed to make some money so that I could provide for them and hopefully give a better life for everyone else around us. And, and that's what I did, right? I got a job as an accountant. Why? Not because I was super passionate about accounting, because I was really good at numbers and I was really bad at everything else. Mm-hmm. And then that led to technology consulting at IBM. And that expertise led to master talk, but that's the punchline. If I never did accounting, if I never did technology consulting, I never even would have gotten to master talk. Right. Where most people fail is they don't make a decision at all and they don't get to their version of master talk because there's mm-hmm. a couple of steps that they need to take that they haven't taken because they're still trying to make a choice. Whereas my opinion is just, if you say no to most things, it's going to be easy for you to make the choice. So do exactly what I did with you, Afra, for people who are listening. Go through all the careers, accountant, dentist, engineer, and just start saying no to all of them. In the same way I know I didn't want to be a dentist. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the physics grades for that, but I, I knew I could be an accountant. So work to your strengths and play to win. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's what most people need to do, making a list. Even if it's stupid as it sounds, making a pro and cons list always helped. That's how I picked out what I wanted to do. I realized I wasn't smart enough to go into medicine or engineering. So I decided to go into business because I just thought, you know, that's what I wanted to do and that's what I'm good at. And I think a lot of people, especially young people with the education, the school system, they don't really guide them well enough to realize instantly what's good and what's bad and what they're actually good at. But I think, like you mentioned, I think definitely making a list and going through it will 100% help. And that's the end to the podcast. And I would like to thank you, Brendan, for thank you so much for joining me and providing very good insights about a lot of things. I think it might, will definitely help out the audience who are listening. If you guys would like to listen to more from Brendan and see his work, which I think it's you guys should definitely should. You can always check out his channel, Master Talk on YouTube. I think he's doing great work. And I think you should, you'll definitely gain some, a lot of insights and knowledge on how to public speak. And I think I can use them myself. <laughs> so thank you so much, Brendan. Do you have any final things to say? No, that was great, Afra, but I'm happy to live with the book recommendations and life advice. The book recommendation is Thirst by Scott Harrison. I think mm-hmm. Scott's a genius in storytelling and messaging. For anyone who wants to make a difference in the world and, and use communication as a tool to get there, Scott Harrison's book is definitely the one you should check out. So buy it, buy it and read it. And for life advice, 
I would say the last piece for those of you who are still sticking around to this is be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) If you want (laughs) to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to make a difference in the world, you want to do something special with your life. The only way to do that is to be crazy. As you alluded to so well, Afford, don't you find it odd that a kid like me started a YouTube channel on executive communication tips from his mother's basement and then coaches those executives now, still from his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, does all these weird things, loves Justin Bieber. (laughs) How does any of this make any sense at all? This guy's crazy, but that's the point I want to drive is that when every decision in your life makes sense to the only person it should, which is you, you'll probably be very successful in life. So be insane or be the same. I think that's awesome. And I I personally think being the same is quite boring. I think every individual has something unique to offer to the world. And I think even though there's a lot of obstacles and circumstances that we all face that will stop us from doing so, I think we should all come out and do what we want to do and just live a happier life. You know, if 2020 has been anything, I think it's an eye opener for all of us to live the life that we want to and fulfill our, not passions exactly, but just do what we want to. So and be, we can, so that we can actually have some purpose in this life. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today and I'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.